This is the Converge Podcast. We meet at 10.30 every Sunday morning at Heritage Baptist Church in the chapel. This is a group that is geared towards those who are young adults who want to follow Jesus and live the gospel life wherever the journey takes them.
Good morning, everybody. So glad you're here today. Thank you so much for being here in Converge. I've got a couple of quick announcements to get things started here today, and then we're gonna get rolling. So something that I say every week, but I'm gonna say this week again, if you wanna keep track of what's going on in Converge and know uh, about the time and date of the small groups and where you can go to those, the best way to do that is to text at HB Converge to 81010. Uh, you can text STOP to that same number to stop getting those text messages anytime. So you're, uh, it's, it's easy to opt in and back out again uh, if you're gone for a little while and don't want us to pester you on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But just because there's plans that change throughout the week, that's kind of the easiest way to keep an eye on that. Um, there are generally small groups that meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. and then one that meets at 6.30 a.m. on Thursdays. I'll let you talk to the people at your table if you want any more information about that, just because I feel like I've made all of these announcements a lot of times, so I'll let you guys uh, get more info from the people around you. Um, the only other thing I wanted to make sure and mention today, yeah, there we go, is the Men of Heritage Breakfast coming up Saturday, March 25th at 8.30 a.m., if you don't get a chance to scan this QR code, but you are interested, you can also go to hbclynchburg.com men for more information on that. I'd encourage you to check that out if you can. It's always good to get together. Like, this group is awesome. It's also good for you guys to get out of this group and get into a more intergenerational group of guys at Heritage to build some of those connections. I'd encourage you to do that. And ladies, in case you were feeling left out, there's actually also a Women's Align event that's gonna be April 2nd at 6.30 p.m. So similarly, you can go to hbclynchburg.com slash women if uh, you don't get a chance to scan this QR code and you are interested. So I'll leave this up for another minute. I'm gonna open us up in prayer here today. So good to see you guys. Dear God, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have just to be together as a body of believers. Thank you that you involve us in your plan. Thank you for all of your plans for the, the bride of Christ and that we get to be that. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would give us that unity that you prayed for us. Um, Lord, I pray that you would help us to remove distractions, to pay attention to you this morning, that we'd be able to build connections uh, with the people around us and with you as this uh, morning draws on. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us uh, recall and, and help us to digest some of the amazing truth that we got to hear from Pastor Nathan this morning. And, and thank you for the gift that that is. And I pray for the people hearing his message right now. Ah, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Ian's going to come up and run through an icebreaker this morning. Good to see you guys today. Well, good morning, Converge. How are we doing? Well, to start us off, we're going to do a quick icebreaker to get the blood flowing and maybe meet a few new people. So in the middle of your table should be a small piece of paper that says Converge Icebreaker. And I put six at each table, which at some tables there's two people and at some tables there's 12. So if you need an extra one, I have some extra copies up here or you can just grab one off a table that nobody sat at. But... This is like what we used to do on the first day of kindergarten, but it's going to be a little more fun, I think. So let me just walk you through if you've never done one of these before. 
for the first question, it says, find someone who is a single child. That's pretty easy. Find somebody or either at your table or in the room and put their first name and last initial. But if you go down to the fifth question, it says, find someone who thinks they are a good singer but are not. Obviously, a little more subjective. There's not a right or wrong answer on that. But to make things a little more interesting, I'm not going to tell you what it is. But whoever, the first couple of people who finish it first or at the end of 10 or 12 minutes, whoever has the most names down is going to get a small prize. I'm not going to tell you what it is because it may not motivate you if I tell you what it is. But go ahead and go find as many people as you can.
right, let's bring it back. Did anybody finish? I know there were a lot of questions on there and I only gave you about 10 minutes. Oh, Addison was six shy, that's tough. All right, well go ahead and count them up. Let's see how many you did get. Did anybody get 20 or more? We'll go ahead and finish counting and I'll ask again. Okay, did anybody get 25 or more? Okay, 26 or more? Just two people? Who finished? How come you didn't raise your hand when I said, did anybody finish? Oh, okay, okay. So how many, let's raise our hands again if you got 26 or more. We got one, two, three. Let's go back down to 25. How many people got 25 or more? Okay, well, you three come on up. Good job. $5 Starbucks gift cards. There we go. Thank you, guys. Give it. All right. One more announcement before Dave breaks up in God's word for us. But... We've talked a lot about here. We've gone on previous trips, but we're going to do another D.C. short-term missions trip. In March, the one planned for March, we had a conflict with the ministry we are partnering with, and that did not happen. But this year, June 14th through 18th, we're going on a trip to D.C. to work with Global Gates and minister to the people up there, receive training and how to minister with uh, different cultures and different religions. But March 12th, say it with me. March 12th, we have an interest meeting, an information meeting, where you can ask any question that you'd like. And it's going to be in Germany uh, at 11.45, right after the second service. Germany is right outside of the main sanctuary, right near the girls' bathroom. It's the room back behind there, if you know where that's at. But March 12th, 11.45, come after Converge. After Converge is done, just head over there, and we'll have a meeting if you're interested. Uh, if you have any questions, you can raise your hand if you've gone on this trip before. I have the marshals. Yep. Dave. Yep. And, yeah, ask any of these people or um, go to the website. You can uh, email go at HBC Lynchburg if you have any questions as well. So March 12th, 1145. Thanks. You guys should have a, a really easy time remembering March 12th. For some of you, it's because 
you actually are thinking, I won't be here, it's spring break. Sorry. If you want information and want to apply, Jeremiah can work that out for you, even if you miss that meeting. Yeah? But for the rest of you, it should be really easy to remember March 12th, because that's my birthday. Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. Birthday buddies. You know, I've actually, I, I don't, how many of you know somebody that shares your birthday? How many of you know more than three? More than three that share your birthday? Yeah? It's pretty, it's pretty fun when you find those, find those people. Um, one that didn't work out so well for me one time was I dated somebody with the same birthday. It wasn't Megan, so we won't talk too much about that one. All right, um, today we're going to continue on our study in uh, walking through scripture. And we have, if, if you're tracking with us, then you've made it into numbers. We're going we're gonna to catch up a little bit of Leviticus today before moving on um, into numbers. But, but what we've begun to see... It's not the only thing we've seen, but, but I want to pull out one trend that has happened um, frequently through our reading, Genesis, Exodus, now into Leviticus. And um, what, it, what it seems to be is that humanity has a problem with trying to achieve what God has planned for them in a way or at a time that is not what he has planned for them. Does that make sense? That we've, be, we've seen repeatedly events where a person or group of people have, have attempted to receive the benefit of what God has for them without actually waiting for God himself to give that or to bring the plans to fruition or to uh, in the way in the way that he's designed to do it I want to review a couple of those with you just to set that set that stage one was just Adam and Eve right that there was a desire for knowledge and awareness and superiority that that was not theirs to have at least not in the way that they were going to achieve it and so they they reached out in sin and ate of the fruit. There is the Tower of Babel, where where humanity wanted to um, achieve greatness and achieve status of even deity, uh, reach their own way to heaven. And of course, it resulted, as you know, in dispersion of the people in various languages that happened. But they were seeking to achieve something that wasn't theirs, or at least not in the way that it should have been. Abraham and Sarah, they knew that God had promised a child, right? They knew that from a human perspective, the prospects were minimal, if not impossible. And so, with their own human sensibility, they said, well, let's bring in Hagar to help achieve this. And... Obviously, that created um, tension that exists currently today between, um, between people groups. We saw uh, the golden calf 
incident, right, where the people were, were waiting for Moses to come back, and, and they just didn't know what was happening, and so instead of standing there and patiently waiting for an unknown, for this guy who they've actually barely gotten to know over the course of, of you know, weeks that they could count, uh, to come back with a word from God who has been relatively silent over the last 400 years while they were in, in Egypt to, to speak and in demonstrations of power on this mountain that they're unfamiliar with, they decided that they would have a God of their own making. And so, as Aaron put it, they tossed gold into a fire and a calf popped out, right? Which is not quite accurate. Then, after the tabernacle has been built and God has established a, a form of following him that's very clear and defined, Aaron's sons, who are there to to carry, to shoulder a lot of this, this religious system, this, this way that they're supposed to live to, to walk in relationship with God, they offer what is kind of mysteriously described as strange fire, and God strikes them dead. And so in, a, in some form or another, they were trying to almost follow the pattern that God had given them and deviated on their own and and whether it was the time or the the mode in which they walked into the presence of of God they they did it in a way that was not how God had designed and God struck them dead and today I want us to talk through a passage of scripture that I think um, shows us something about our own selves where God has described a way that we are to live, that a, a way that actually represents him to the world around us. This is definitely his character that we're going to have in view today. But it's also, it's, it's one of those parts of his character where we're explicitly told to model it. And I think that our culture is indicative of trying to achieve the benefits of this without following the way God has actually designed for it to be, okay? And so I want us to spend some time in Leviticus 19, if you want to, to head there. Uh, we're going to look at about the first two-thirds of the chapter, so if you'll indulge me, we'll read it in just a minute. Um, when I was in school and learning about God's Word and um, how to study it and and how to how to speak of it. One of the things that that they kept saying was, if if God says something, it's important. If He says it more than once, it must be really important. Anybody heard that before? Okay. So we're going to look at two things in Leviticus 19 today that repeat themselves in Scripture and other places that are uh, descriptions of God and then expectations on us as a result of what we know of God and his character. And so you'll, they're easy to pick out, but you'll, you'll see them as we read. I want you to pay attention to, to know what they are, okay? So Leviticus 19, we're going to read 1 through 18. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, 
and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. And it shall be eaten the same day you offer it or on the day after. And anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it's eaten at all on the third day, it's tainted and will not be accepted. And everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely so that and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be, you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Okay? Um, There actually were maybe 10 different things that are repeated somewhere in scripture here. But the two big ones that I want to, to see in, in um, relationship with each other today are that God says he's holy. We need to be holy as he is holy. Number one, that's in the first section. Number two, you should love your neighbor as yourself, which is also repeated a couple of times. Um, be holy as I'm holy is repeated in first Peter, uh, specifically. And then also, um, love your neighbor as yourself is, well, like four different places in the new Testament, including James chapter three. Uh, wait, hold on. I'm trying to zoom in James chapter two. I can't read my writing. Um, Matthew chapter 22, Romans 13 and Galatians five. They all repeat this and they give even some weight to the importance of this particular statement and how it summarizes the law okay I mean you can see actually as we read some some of the things that were repeated uh, are actually the Ten Commandments right bits and pieces of them are put in there and so we get we get into the New Testament we start reading where um, where Jesus answers that the most important of the laws right is to love God with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself and so saying that he actually follows it by saying all of the commandments hinge on this 
So half or so, right, I mean, in proximity to or in relationship with how we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the law rests on also how we love each other. Um, Paul says it twice in Romans, um, and then in Galatians, he says that love fulfills the law, and the whole law is fulfilled in love your neighbor as yourself. James actually describes it as the royal law, indicating that in this kingdom that's to come, that is now partially in place, that there's a royal law of love your neighbor as yourself. And what, what we see here in Leviticus is kind of a teasing out of what this love your neighbor as yourself uh, is supposed to look like. And we're going to walk through that and we're going to see how, even though these are quite specific examples in um, in Leviticus for the culture of the day, the principles behind it, I think, are, are pretty timeless and that we need to examine how we're actually interacting with others. Here's the thing that I don't want us to miss. It's really easy and culturally palatable for us to banner wave that we should love other people. Right? And this is where I think, and, and we'll, try to, we'll try to get back to it at the end, but this is where I think it's indicative of our own tendency to try to gain something that God is blessing in a way that's, that he's not blessing. Okay? And that is that our love for others, which should be consuming in a way, Loving God and loving others should be what defines our life and obedience to God. But, but without the loving God part or what's in proximity here in this text is that we need to, hold on a second. We need to be holy as I'm holy. I lost it. I try to do cool things, and then this can't even work here. Um, you shall be holy as I am holy, right here. You shall be holy, for I, the, your God, am holy. If it's not driven from a reverence for and a pursuit of the holiness of God, our love doesn't fit with what God has designed. Okay, so in our in our culture, um, anybody anybody know what uh, what some of the NFL helmets say on the back this year? I mean, I know that I know the season just ended and you love the Chiefs and all that, but um, they they were given an opportunity in the last couple of years, I think it is, to um, choose a statement. One of them is choose love. Uh, in our culture, I mean, there's just so many ways that, that we would want to celebrate that, that love is most important, love wins, love always, love whatever, you know, fill in, fill in words before and words after, and, and we, can, we can feel really good about it, right? In fact, it's probably even a little tingly to, to really settle in and, and think, okay, 
Let's let love define us and not rules or, or you know, in this case, holiness seems a little less kingly than love. But unless we let God define what that is, then we expose ourselves to needing to, to let go of the holiness standard in order to let everybody feel the love they want to feel. I don't think that's what God would define as love your neighbor as yourself. I think that I think that our love for others, our selfless love, needs to flow from a pursuit of the holiness of God, and that this is the mark of one who follows God, identifying them to a world in desperate need of this holy love to replace their cheap imitation. I think the, the longing is to have the, the benefits of a society that cares for, um, builds up, accepts as appropriate you for, for how God has designed you, and misses the eternal where we need to also love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So in what we're going to talk about today, I don't want us to miss, I don't want us to miss this. You shall be holy for I am holy. Because it's that that's, that's putting the frame around our love for one another. Okay? It'd be easy for us to walk out of here and say, that was a really... That, was a, that felt good. Let's care more about other people. Um, I don't want that to be the end of what we're talking about. I do want us to be conscious of and selfless in loving each other. But within the parameters of honoring God and setting standards that match his holiness. Because we're equally supposed to love God. Well, actually more so love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and from that, love your neighbor as yourself, okay? So with that, with that framework, let's, um, let's move into verses 9 through um, 18, I think it is. All right, so when, when they're hearing this law from um, God, I'm not, I don't want you to think that I'm manufacturing this connection. The, there are a couple of events in Leviticus, where God says to Moses, the Lord says to Moses, tell the people these things, okay? That what we're talking about in Leviticus 19 is all one discourse from God. Go and tell the people this. And so he says, be holy as I am holy, and when you reap your harvest, don't reap all of it, okay? This sounds a little bit um, weird, right? Especially if you're protective of your belongings, if you are, um, if you're you have a more guardian mentality of what is yours, then, then this seems a little bit uh, foreign to you maybe, that when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather fallen grapes for your of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord 
with God. Um, it's easy for us to say, okay, when I get a field, when I get a vineyard, I'll make sure to leave a little bit for the random stranger who walks through. Okay? Um, yeah, I understand. You're probably not going to have that, at least not immediately. And so how does this work into our um, understanding of how we can model this principle? I think that loving our neighbor as ourself is our way to model the lavish and undeserved love of God poured out on us. How can we model it in this form right here? I think that the tendency for somebody who would reap to the edge, gather all the fallen grapes, making sure nothing's left behind, which we might consider good stewardship, right? I mean, how many of you count a stack of money and, you know, don't take all of it? Or, you know, you pay for something and, and I, I'll just leave the the rest for somebody else. I mean, it's not, it, we don't consider it good stewardship to, to work in this kind of mindset. But, but here's what I think it's describing is that we in human nature have a tendency towards greed and stinginess and hoarding what belongs to us. I mean, maybe some of us have looser grasps on stuff than others, but um, but I think that's that's generally our tendency is to is to make sure that we've got that we've got ours, and then we consider we consider that what is ours uh, can be given to somebody else, but we kind of call those shots, right? We don't just it's not the same as as this idea of I'm just not going to take all of it. I'm going to leave some for for other people, and, and and we don't have the fields and we don't have the vineyards, and I understand that the practicality of that exact scenario of where am I, am I just going to leave this behind. Um, you know, doesn't quite fit. So let's talk about this greed and stinginess and, and even hoarding mentality. If God, if God is actually the giver of all good things, so that all the things you have, the, the money in your wallet, the, the car that you drove here, the um, whatever, you know, you, you fill in the blank of your valuable assets, whether they're financially valuable or, or you know, nostalgically valuable, if you consider those assets that you have, and you consider how tightly you have them gripped, when, if we understand that all good things come from our Father who gives them to us, are we doing something wrong by not being willing to hold those things with a, a loose grasp and being willing to share with those that are in need. I um, want to tell you about some mindset changes that I've had to have recently. All right? I currently drive a 1999 GMC Safari. Okay, that's in case you're wondering what that is or you're not Googling it fast enough. Um, that's that kind of boxy minivan from from the late 90s, early 2000s, that many have been turned into work trucks or those kinds of things. These are, these are not flashy vehicles, okay? Um, and, it's, and because it's 24 years old, it has bits and pieces falling off of it. Uh, on 
Thursday, I went to lunch with Pastor Joshua, our kids' pastor, and he got in my car, pulled the door. You have to kind of slam it. They're heavy, okay? And when he did, um, the glass from the side view mirror fell and cracked on the ground because the glue holding the glass on is 24 years old, okay? And, uh, and so there's a piece of plastic here that's fallen off and, and whatever. My, my kids, because it's so not contemporary, they think it's awesome. And, you know, because you, you have to use those clips on the window and pop the, win the vent window out. They think that's really cool. Um, you can't push a button to open the door, so you have to work with all your muscles. And these are little kids. So they find it, they find it fascinating. Um, I've been feeling like I deserve more. Can I just be, I'll just be honest with you. This is my own, my own um, sinfulness here. And one, one day God got my attention and had me think over the last couple decades, because I'm old enough to do that, think over the last couple decades about how he has provided for me. When I graduated from college, I bought, I bought my first car that I ever paid money for. Right? It wasn't hugely expensive. It took me way too long to pay off and because I was paying it at the rate that you know somebody fresh out of college could pay for things. And since then, I haven't bought a car. That was 2004. There's the date for you. Uh, it was two, 20 years ago next year, I graduated from college and bought a car. I haven't bought a car for me since then. I bought a car for Megan, my wife. We, we got her a newer minivan, so she's not driving a 1999 GMC Safari, okay? But for me to drive, I haven't bought another car because after that car died, we, we were buying a car from my aunt and uncle, and they decided to say, you know, after $100 that we had paid them, don't, don't worry about the rest. We had the car that my that my wife drove when she was in college that her parents just gave us after, after she graduated from college. So we had, that's two that they just gave us for free, didn't have to do anything for. Then I'm driving the free car that my wife had in college and um, somebody came to me and, and said, hey, do you need a tractor? And I said, no, I, I don't, I, would, I wish I needed a tractor. I would love to have, I would love to have the, the land that would require a tractor, but I, I don't need a tractor. What I need is a minivan because our second kid is on the way. And right now we're just driving these little sedans that are not great for putting loads of kids in, right? And so he said, let me think about it. And a couple days later said, we'd love to give you our minivan. That one was also a 1999, but it was a Toyota Sienna. Um, which currently Pastor Rob drives with his family, so that one's running too. But we, we were given our first minivan. And then um, my in-laws decided they were going to upgrade their car, and now that's how we got the GMC Safari. This 1999 GMC Safari is what my wife grew up going to soccer practice in, okay? And so now we've, over, over the last 20 years of my life, I've purchased a single car but had what I think I named five. Because of God's people, all of these were were genuine followers of Jesus looking to pass a blessing onto someone who was, granted, less fortunate than them, okay? And, and they did that out of 
out of a, I believe, a love for their neighbor. And I just think that if we understand that all of our stuff is a gift from God, then we can model this, which is in opposition to greed and stinginess and our, our tendency to hoard what we think belongs to us from being able to share it with others. So I would love for us to be able to live that out because Yahweh is the Lord. We move down to the, to the next part of this passage and, and we see you shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. We need to be careful not to defraud people for personal gain. Hopefully you're not in a tendency to steal. But, I mean, we, we are careless with our words at times and how we deal with one another and how we aim to get what's best for us and how clearly we tell the truth, you know, shifts from time to time. And I'm not pointing fingers at you. I'm talking about, about me, too, that, you know, we can, we can shade some of this stuff. But, but you know what? When we get to the point, and, and this was the nation of Israel specifically, who, was, who, would, who would swear these things, right? Who would swear. And, and, if, and God says, if, if you're going to swear and not follow through, then you are using my name falsely. And you are profaning, profaning my name. I am Yahweh, and you need to care for my name, and, and we need to be careful not to defraud people for personal gain, but then specifically that we don't defraud and violate the name and character of God. So when we carry the name of Christ and defraud people, then we are, I think, living in the same kind of mindset as those who would actually swear by God's name and deal falsely. He goes on to say, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. I felt like um, I felt like at first that this was a little bit disjointed. That my interaction with people that I owe money to, those that have worked for me, seems a little bit different than my my care for those who uh, would be vulnerable, the blind and the and the deaf. And then I, I think I realized that what we're talking about here, when we talk about somebody who you owe money because they've done work for you in that kind of relationship, and the blind and the deaf, that, that these are all people who should be under our care, okay? That, that the nature of the relationship between us should be one where we're, we're, on, we're looking out for them, okay? And that what we see here is that, that we need to be careful not to oppress those who should be in our care. Now this is, can I, can I read this once again? That, that we curse the deaf? put a stumbling block before the blind that's that's heartless of all heartless things right 
to take advantage of those who should be in your care. It is a way that we violate this, this most or second most basic commandment of what God wants us to do, which is love your neighbor as yourself. It might take a moment to to realize, okay, who actually falls into this category, but I'm pretty confident that you would all find somebody that would that would be in this maybe not somebody you owe money that has worked for you but and maybe not specifically somebody who's who's deaf or blind but but in this context of somebody who should be in your care to be careful not to oppress them because you can that it's it's modeling the love of God to give to love those who can't actually love you back. Let me say that one again because that's us, right? It's modeling the character of God to love well those who can't love you back. So when we talk about modeling God, this is this is a chance for us to not oppress those who should be in our care. Uh, okay, he goes on. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall stand up against life, against the life of your neighbor. I'm the Lord. The first part of this is obviously favoritism, right? That that you should neither be partial to the poor and and disregard those who are more fortunate. We should still love those, okay? So there's an obvious need for us to care for the poor. I mean, most of what we've talked about so far kind of leans in that direction. But, but here, we shouldn't be entirely partial to the poor, but neither should we defer to the great in general. And we can see this in other parts of Scripture that favoritism is not a way to model the love of God. Anybody that we exalt to a standard where they deserve love more than somebody else, then we are violating this principle of loving our neighbor as ourselves, flowing from the holiness of our holy God. Then he goes on to say, he talks about slander and not standing up against the life of your neighbor. That phrasing is a little bit weird. Mostly it's, it's looking at don't do something that would um, increase the likeliness of harm for your neighbor. Okay? So stand up against the life of your neighbor. Either you, you step back when you could prevent something for them or you step into something that would harm them. Either way, generally, from my understanding of this, of this phrase, it's, it's you need to look out for the good of this of their actual physical life, not doing something that would increase the likeliness of harm to them. So whether verbally or physically, this statement is one of devaluing others. That we, that we look and we say um, that with my words, I can, I can tear down somebody. That's the slanderer part, right? That, that I, can, I can exalt myself in a lot of cases, that's where we tend to go, is that, that we would tear down somebody else verbally so that we can build ourselves up. This is, the, this is an obvious lack of love for your neighbor, but, 
But that's where our human nature tends to go in defense of itself, that we would tear down somebody else in order to exalt ourselves. And then, physically speaking, that we would maybe not step into the good of somebody else when, when they need it. So then we're exalting ourselves over this other person. That if we want to model God's love for others by loving our neighbor as ourselves, then we step in and and avoid verbally or or physically devaluing others. The last section that we're gonna um, that we're gonna read is verses seventeen and eighteen. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The first um, verse, 17 there, is, um, is very much a, an allowance of bitterness that can develop instead of confronting wrong. I am, I, I am a little bit ashamed. I was going to say I'm an unashamed um, uh, avoider of conflict. I'm actually a little bit ashamed about my tendency to avoid conflict. Um, I'd rather you not call me out on it because I don't like conflict. But uh, I, I do, I, I've been made aware by God of my own tendency to avoid conflict where, where when something needs to be confronted, it, it needs to be something that, that God has worked in me for me to step into that space to, to deal with with the sin of somebody else or a hurt on my part that that they've done to me or you know however that happens like I tend to I tend to shy away from from conflict now in some cases I think that's biblical because we can overlook an offense right and it's it's important to be able to do that but but on the flip side we tend to expose ourselves to the to the potential of bitterness developing where now we stew in our anger instead of dealing with something and I think that's what this is describing here that you should not hate your brother but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him that we have a responsibility to I love this wording reason frankly speak openly we, we use biblical terminology to speak the truth in love, but that truth takes some frankness sometimes. And some people are really good at the frankness and not so great at the love. You know, I mean, there's, there's both sides of this coin, but, but we should be willing in order to avoid our own um, planting of bitterness in ourselves, we should be willing to deal with a problem when it arises. There's some possibility that this is also saying that if you don't reason frankly with your neighbor because of what they're doing, that there's some complicity on your part to their sin. I'm not so sure of that. I do know for sure that our tendency is to, when we're offended and we don't deal with it, we, we allow bitterness to take root and, and then we cause problems and we sin at that point because of that, because we're exposing ourselves to this, this hurt on a regular basis and not dealing with it. 
or we take it one step further, which is verse 18, and we, we try to take vengeance, or we just simply bear a grudge against these people. And what we're doing then is perpetuating this injustice that we're not, we're now treating them unfairly as we were mistreated. And that's not how this is supposed to be. We're supposed to love as we love ourselves, not, not hurt as we were ourselves hurt. And so God sums up this section of, of his law speaking to Moses. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And I know that all of these things had some very specific nuance to the culture of Israelites walking through the wilderness, becoming, becoming the nation that God has intended them to be for for so long, and they're, un- they're beginning to understand what it means to follow Christ, but I think it's important for us to take the truths that, that are behind these specific interactions in that culture and make sure that we're on guard to not treat others the same way. Because I think all of these, as we've described them in principle form, are things that we're likely to participate in if we don't watch out. But with that, is the truth that we need all of this to be driven by a pursuit of the holiness of God. Because if we leave here and we just try to be as bubbly and loving to everybody that we come in contact with and we become the epitome of what it means to love one another because we're appealing to how that love is felt by them then we are missing the truth that all of this should be saturated with and driven by our pursuit of God's holiness. And that's culture changing. If if we just try to help everybody feel loved, we're going to miss the point. Because, let me say again what I said at the beginning, Selfless love flowing from a pursuit of the holiness of God is the mark of one who follows God, which identifies them to a world in desperate need of this holy love to replace their cheap imitation. So, love your neighbor as yourself. But, love them from the holiness that matches or pursues your holy God. Let's pray together. Father, you have given us a gracious gift in your word. You've revealed your character to us. You've disclosed the truth about who you are in so many ways. And while there's still things that we long to know about you, you've given us all that we need for life and godliness. So, Father, as we we read this, and we know it's for specifically a different culture, but there's so much richness in what we need to adopt as our perspective to those that are around us. And we know because you've repeated it through your word from from here to, to almost the end of the book, we hear Love your neighbor as yourself, and this summarizes the law. Father, I pray that we would 
passionately love our neighbors, that we would look for opportunities to display your love for them. But Father, I pray that it would be not driven by how how they would feel it the most, but how it would best represent you. Father, I pray that it would that would be motivated by, saturated in your holiness. So Father, show us how we need to change. Show us how we can be more like you and that in that, we'll, we will be loving to the vulnerable. We will be generous to those in need. We will be careful to look out for the good of those who are, who are hurting. And we'll be more aware of the fact that this is, how, this is how you've designed us to model you to this world. Father, make us a loving people, but make it, make it a, a love that, that points people to you and your holiness. Be with me. Amen. Guys, I appreciate you being here today. Um, let me check. I didn't actually check to see if we need to clear the room. I think we actually, I think we do. Um, so if you have time to stick around and can help put away chairs and tables, then it would be greatly appreciated. Um, give me... Give me just a minute to figure that out, and, uh, and then we'll be back. Guys, I would ask you, um, there's, there are 40 people-ish leaving tomorrow to go to Israel from our church. 40 people from our church leaving to go to Israel. A few of them are in this room, so I would ask that you would pray for safety on this trip, uh, health on this trip. It's, um, it's a huge blessing for us to be able to go to Israel, walk, uh, walk the Holy Land and see what God's doing and spend two weeks there. We'll miss next week and we'll miss being with you, but the Hankins will be in Israel, the Victors will be in Israel, Megan and I will be in Israel. Am I missing anybody? I don't think so. Okay, um, so pray for, pray for safety. Um, there's just a, I think it's important that we... Um, that we lift each other up in that kind of way. Okay, I'm finally there. And we do need to clear the room. So thank you for thank you for your willingness to do that on a regular basis. I think it's great that we have tables, but this is part of our responsibility to be able to do that. So chairs go against the wall, tables go in the back room. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you would like to get plugged into a small group, just text HB Converge to 81010 and you will get the text reminders for all the small groups. If you have any questions, just respond to one of those text reminders and it will go to our leadership team and they will be able to respond to you directly.